the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's have a big hand for our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. I am Ben. I'm a big... uh, I think you can clap for yourself, Max. You've heard I was about to say, I fully support this. (laughs) Yes, yes. That is my ride or die, Mr. Noel Brown uh, himself, the one and only. I am Ben Bolin. We are hurtling headlong toward... The end of 2021, the beginning of 2022, Uh, this is the time of year when a lot of people in the U.S., regardless of their personal religious beliefs, are living in Christmas land, right? We've, We've just gotten over the Thanksgiving hump. Hope everybody had a good one. And now for the next... For the next few weeks, everything is going to be Christmas, right? It's going to be uh, the Mariah Carey song again, right? And... All the all the old hits. The oh movies. yeah, people have really strong opinions about that Mariah Carey song. Like there are some jukeboxes that won't let you play it more than once. You know, mm-hmm. uh, any given night. I've seen memes about it. It's very divisive. I mean, it's obviously a stone cold banger, but do I want to hear it like ad nauseum throughout the Christmas time? It does kind of suck some of the joy out of the song when it's mm-hmm. uh, beaten to death. You know. Yeah, and and television shows will have themed Christmas episodes, your Saturday Night Lives, your Simpsons, and so on. You'll also see a lot of nostalgia, and you'll see things become singularly important. Like every every parent in the audience today, again, whether or not you celebrate Christmas, you've heard the same stories that come back. Insert toy here is the new hot thing, and thus it is impossible to find, you know, an Elmo that wants you to tickle it, which no one thinks is creepy (laughs) for some reason, but everybody needs one. 
Yeah, they did. That was a frenzy around that weird <laughs> toy. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, I think the frenzy just comes from the exclusivity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you got to wonder, is it manufactured? Do they not make enough of them on purpose? So there would be this, like, massive hysteria around what is ultimately a pretty obnoxious toy, uh, the novelty of which would probably wear out pretty quick for most kids. You don't even see them around anymore. Like, I've never run into one, like, in a thrift store or anything, which is surprising. Maybe they are coveted. Maybe, like, people just held on to them. And and it is still continues to be an item of great pride that you that you got one, you know? Yeah, like a badge of, of capitalist honor, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you wouldn't see a purple heart in a thrift store. <laughs> maybe that's uh, maybe that is a uh, unfair comparison. Spoiler maybe at a alert, pawn shop, is. which would be sad, but not, oh, not a thrift store. Yeah, yeah, and and so we were talking a little bit off air about different things that happen in the nostalgia wave of uh, American Christmas, and we notice, of course, that there are the same movies that pop up. People watch them almost ritualistically with their loved ones, family, and friends. There's one film. Uh, without the most creative name, but it's definitely a classic this time of year. It's called A Christmas Story. And the, the Christmas Story plot concerns the adventures of a young man named Ralphie, Ralphie Parker. And a lot of stuff goes down here. It's kind of tough to spoil this one, Noel, I think, because the story is so quintessentially like established in culture. But we're we're using poor Ralphie as a tangent here, I believe. Or no, oh, a segue, segue, a segue, or just just kind of like a setting the stage kind of situation. You know, it's funny, Ben. Um, here in Atlanta, I think this might be a our neck of the woods centric kind of thing, but uh, on TBS every year they for for many many years they would play a christmas story for like 20 like on a loop leading up to christmas like over and over and over and over again so i'm pretty sure i've seen the entirety of a christmas story uh just not in the right order like i i know everything about that movie literally more than more like backwards than frontwards but i absolutely know everything that happens i don't think i've ever sat down in one uh, go and watched a christmas story oh fuck <laughs> uh, so, so you have a postmodern, you have a postmodern viewing experience, nonlinear. I love it. And it is ultimately a postmodern kind of story because it, it's a retelling of an era, sort of stylized kind of fantasy version of the 1950s, um, you know, with Ralphie and his brother and the, you know, his father and the leg lamp that was like, what was that? He got that as a prize from some sort of clearinghouse sweepstakes or something like that. It's yeah, his major I, reward. I just remember that, but I don't remember quite how he got it. Yeah, it's um, it's weird. It's like a love letter to this period of time. Definitely through rose-colored glasses. It's uh, it's believed to be set in 1940, but it, there are a lot of anachronisms in there because it's really it's really more about the vibe, like the Norman Rockwell esque vibe of uh, how people viewed America at the time. And heads up, folks, this is a two-parter episode. Uh, This is going to be a wild ride. We're going to go some weird places. Uh, We'll return to a good place, uh, but we are very proud of ourselves for making sure you know it's a two-part episode in advance. Thank you, Max. Thank you. Uh, Noel and I would like to accept this award on behalf of all the other episodes that accidentally became two-parters. Yes, this major (laughs) award. This major award. And... There's this thing, Noel, uh, there's this thing that happens 
there, there are so many iconic moments in a Christmas story that you almost just remember them as moments rather than like one long narrative. You know, he gets his tongue stuck. He curses in front of his parents. You'll shoot your eye out, etc. For a big part of the movie, he has this quest to interact with his favorite radio program, the equivalent of like his favorite TV show. And his favorite radio program is something called Little Orphan Annie. Uh, and Max, uh, Noel and I have a clip of this, the Little Orphan Annie radio show uh, that we'd like to we'd like to just drop in. Can you play that for us? Who's them little chatterbox? The one with pretty auburn locks. Whom do you see? It's Little Orphan Annie. She and Sandy make a pair. Yesterday, remember... Mr. Flint was trying to sell stock in the new bridge to Jake at the Emporium. But Annie convinced Jake he ought to think the matter over before he went into debt to buy stock. Well, here it is the next day after school, and Annie and Joe are walking across the snowy field toward the river to see the new bridge. Shugs, Annie, it sure did seem good to get back to the old school again, didn't it? I'll say it did, Joe. Gee, the kids were awful glad to see us, weren't they? And I was awful glad to see them. Wow! Gee, Willikers, that was an awful keen. Ben, <laughs> where'd you dig that one up? Oh, wowzer. Okay, so wait, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I think we buried the lead there a little bit. She's trying to convince somebody not to go into debt to buy stock. That's, that's, that's mm-hmm. the conflict. That's the central conflict in this episode. This episode's from 1936. I, I didn't want to spoil the whole thing, but yeah, I'm glad that stood out to you guys as well. The, the concept of like, what do children worry about? Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's I don't want to limit stock. Them. Whoa. Mm-hmm. So this was a theme. I mean, this is something that, that played throughout the series. Um, you know, it originally was a comic strip that was based on subject matter that went even farther back to an 1885 poem called Little Orphans Annie by James Whitcomb Riley. I think it maybe it wasn't based on that exactly, but it, uh, originally the comic was going to be called Little Orphan Auto. Um, but a friend of the uh, comic strip creator Harold Gray was convinced to change the name and the you know the gender of the of the main protagonist to Little Orphan Annie mm-hmm. based on the I think popularity of that poem. But it was all about like strike breaking and like it was very anti Roosevelt policies. You know, it was very uh, interesting, and in then it was like clearly you know, meant for kids, I think. But I mean, adults like the funnies too. There's a lot of an interesting kind of like uh, buried adult messaging in like old comic strips. If, if you look back at I mean, the, the father or the adoptive father, the daddy Warbucks figure. Yeah. Is literally named Warbucks as a surname. So that's clearly seems like a war profiteer. That's which right. Went over my head as a kid. Yeah, I thought he was just, Wealthy gone over my head until you just pointed it out, Ben. I didn't even think about the the not too uh, subtle buried uh, message there. War bucks, like it was my war chests, you know. Well, yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. what it was. Um, but that transferred over to the radio show, and and this was like you know the mm-hmm. golden age of of wireless, you know, the radio people, families gathering around, hearing you know the news and all of that stuff, but also these serialized uh, drama. Uh, performances, you know, that, 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 like, you know, had new stories, monster of the week kind of things week to week. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. So if you look back at this now from 2021, it's easy for us to go, okay, that's not 
necessarily controversial. There are some uh, hidden political agendas in there. Uh, are they apropos to today? Maybe not exactly. Uh, and this probably goes over the head of most children. It might surprise folks to realize that a lot of parents were squigged out by this radio program because it had a hold on their children. And when we say hold, it had the same kind of hold that a show like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos or or The Wire or Game of Thrones would have on people. But it was a children's show and it was for kids. And it was able to direct children to do things, to push their parents for things, namely products, right? To make their parents buy stuff because, uh, <laughs> you know, little orphan Annie just like old dirty bastard said about Wu-Tang is for the kids. Parents were freaked out. They didn't appreciate all the child directed marketing. They were to the mercy of whatever these folks who created the show decided to sell. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Absolutely. And, and Little Orphan Annie was also, in the words of the Wu-Tang Clan, which remember, nothing to f*** with. Uh, because her catchphrase was, she was the spunky orphan with a heart of gold and a fast left. Uh, and that was um, referring to the fact that she and her dog Sandy were kind of this, like, almost like detective pair. Like, you could clearly see the influence in other pop culture pairings of, like, kid detectives. Kind of like Scooby-Doo, for example. You know, clearly influenced by the pairing of, you know, Annie and her dog. Um, or things like 
like Brain and Penny and in Inspector Gadget. You know, this is very mm-hmm. much a pop culture trope that clearly got its beginnings here. But you're right, Ben. The political, you know, messaging aside, which apparently really, you know, stemmed from Gray's own uh, political views, uh, many of the plots of the comics apparently um, almost got the comic pulled from uh, the newspapers that it ran in. Like, I'm just going to really quickly because it's interesting. Time ran an article uh, called The Surprisingly Controversial Plots That Almost Got Little Orphan Annie Axed, one of which I'm just going to read it right from here because it's fantastic. Um, In 1935, the plot takes a turn for the propagandistic when political racketeers threaten to destroy one of Daddy Warbucks' factories. <laughs> to the editor of the Huntington Herald Dispatch, the rhetoric seems better suited to Anne Rand than to America's best love orphan, as he describes the offending plotline per time. Uh, and here's from the, the letter to the editor. All political leaders, and it follows every public official, are at once indicted as crooks. And to accept such a sweeping indictment uh, is to uh, permit the creator of Little Orphan Annie and the Chicago Tribune syndicate to attack and condemn all persons, all institutions, and all ideas, save those they choose to label acceptable. And I point this out because it's interesting, because clearly the source material of this comic, or the inspiration behind it, I guess, is pretty virulently pro-capitalism. It's a little interesting because like, it's the dude's politics seems to change a little bit as time goes on. But he ends up in a place that, while seeming to be like pro-hard work and the working man and all that, uh, really kind of raises up characters like Daddy Warbucks, who are ultimately the, you know, fat cats uh, running the factories and all of that stuff. And it takes on this kind of weird, almost propagandistic tone, right? Yeah, but it it was very Randian in its concepts, you know, just, just as you said. In fact, when uh, FDR was elected president in 1932, Gray appeared to kill off Warbucks later, uh, implying that Warbucks could not coexist in the world with Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He actually killed him off in 45. And then after the real life, Roosevelt dies. Gray brings Daddy Warbucks back, and he and he says in the comic strip, somehow I feel that the climate here has changed since I went away. So it's like, come on, man, this is for kids. What are you doing, getting in their heads this way? Uh, this is this is a at best a precursor to the approach that is later perfected by a big corporation, Little Orphan Annie, this massively successful radio program was, I kid you not, this is a true story. It was pretty much one long commercial. It was entirely sponsored by Ovaltine and the writing staff, they were all advertising executives at Ovaltine. You know, for some for some advertisers, this is like a dream you wouldn't dare to dream. The radio show existed entirely to propagate the use of Ovaltine in the American public. And it was so successful because it was a new approach. It was a a new kind of media. Um, Well, not necessarily a new strategy, but it was new in terms of its target audience. Mm -hmm. And we see the dangers of this reflected today in things like um, Facebook, or metaverse or whatever meta I'm supposed to call them now, apparently you can see this in things like their plans to make an Instagram for children exclusively and specifically for children. And this just shows us that there is a cyclical continual 
history of media technology scares when it comes to kids. Like even now, you know, there's a lot of debate about when a child should have a smartphone or when a kid should be allowed to have. Um, well, nowadays, I guess it'd be a TikTok account because kids aren't really on Facebook uh, unless they have to keep in touch with, you know, their mom or their uncle or something. But what's startling is that it's not so surprising that these conversations always come up, but it is incredibly surprising that they are so similar from one century to the next. I mean, Noel, you and I were looking into some of this stuff, and we found a great Slate article called A History of Media Technology Scares, or Don't Touch That Dial by Vaughn Bell. And in this, Bell points out that these concerns over like technology and how it affects and molds the young minds of children date all the way back to the birth of literacy. Back this is literacy was a technology. That's right? so crazy. <laughs> no, and I love this. And we're going to get back to a Christmas story and all of this, uh, you know, newfangled technology, you know, as we kind of know it today, which really set the groundwork for what we know as advertising and, and television and commercials and all of that good stuff. But it's true. Uh, it was in intensely distrusted Socrates warned against writing itself because he thought that it would quote create forgetfulness in the learner's souls and let's remember that so much of the um, history and mythology of that time was passed down through the oral tradition and it was very important memorization and all of that was such a, a crucial uh, feature of that storytelling and uh, essentially academia. Uh, so Socrates warned that it would actually corrupt the youth. He advised that children won't be able to distinguish fantasy from reality. And so it was up to parents to ensure that they only hear allegories that are deemed to be proper as opposed to quote unquote improper tales. Uh, it could in, in fact completely screw up their developmental process, you know, as their brains are mm -hmm. developing in this crucial time. And, you know, the this whole line of thinking from Socrates uh, really did set a foundation for what we think of today as like uh, too much screen time. You know, it's kind of evolved to that kind of thinking or like video games will rot your brain and all that kind of stuff. Older generations typically warn and are suspicious of new technology, whatever it might be, whether it's um, even a new type of music, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. to, to maybe our grandparents, like jazz and kind of swing music at the time would have been incredibly controversial, you know, to their parents. They would have thought of that as, as the devil's music. And nowadays, you know, with music being so all over the place and there being certainly some pretty extreme forms of it, parents that maybe aren't as keyed into that kind of pop culture stuff, certainly, or maybe you're a little more religious in their background, certainly could look at things like Slipknot or like heavier music as absolutely being sure. demonic, you know, or satanic in some way and uh, not, not to or, mention or like, corrupting. Uh, <laughs> Or like centuries ago, someone's like, I don't, I, music with different instruments, right. that's ungodly. Give me Gregorian chant, okay? Back when things were good. I'm like, this is, you're, you're absolutely right. And the same thing happened with um, television. The same thing happened with VHS. The same thing happened with Dungeons and Dragons. Now it's all about social media. Technology. Yeah, now it's all about social media. And so when the radio came into play, this immediately fit the bill of a new technological threat to the minds of the young. Uh, wireless radio was now accused of distracting children from practicing 
the same literacy that Socrates had warned about so long ago. Uh, Radio was apparently also making children do terribly in school, and a big part of the blame fell specifically on these audio fiction programs, which now are considered so, like, old-timey. Totally. You you find them as nostalgia clips on YouTube, or if you go into a a Cracker Barrel— which is a nostalgia-based restaurant here in the U.S. You'll see you'll see uh, DVDs of stuff like Little Orphan Anime or The Shadow Knows sold in their um, faux country store. But think about the alternative: what it was luring kids away from. You know, they're like very strict, taskmasterly like school teachers that were just kind of teaching them their you know reading, writing, and arithmetic. Probably not with a whole lot of theatrical flair. So I mean, even just the most basic kind of levels of performativeness or theatricality that they would hear on what we now, you know, clock as being incredibly dated and stuffy uh, radio shows would have been just like a whole new world of, of, of information and of just, you know, and absolutely could have could have been distracting. Uh, it's described here um, in this uh, Slate article, um, A History of Media Technology Scares from the Printing Press to Facebook um, as uh, it, actually they quote a gramophone magazine article from 1936 um, and it says that children, quote, had developed the habit of dividing attention between the humdrum preparation of their school assignments and the compelling excitement of the loudspeaker. Yeah, play that back in your head, folks, because I I have a question and I don't want this to be gotcha journalism or a gotcha game show question for you guys. But Noel, Max, when is the last time that you just watched a television show or a film without also being on your phone or without also, you know, working on something on your computer or when's the last time you listened to a song without also being on your phone or engaging with some other piece of media. That's what the gramophone is complaining about, right? Well, it's an important question. And I think the pandemic has really tipped the scales in a negative way. I mean, we've spent so much time just consuming media in our homes and multitasking with the subtitles on. And and we have just infinite mm-hmm. distractions at our fingertips. I, I recently went and saw a movie in the theater and, and kept having to fight the urge to whip out my phone. But you know that in the theater, you will get shamed and, and for good reason. But at home, when it's just you in charge, you can do whatever you want. And I would argue that you are not fully experiencing any of those things. You know, if you're like kind of bouncing back and forth between watching the new Dune movie while also checking the, you know, doom scrolling on Instagram and also perhaps, um, you know, dealing with a kid or something that's actually there in person. Uh Okay, so for you it was a it was a movie. And it was a movie. Conscious. The answer to your question was okay. it was it was a movie okay. um, in, in the theater, theater a week or so ago. I saw the French Dispatch by uh, by, by Wes Anderson. Nice, Max. How about you? Yeah, I, I like that Noel mentioned like a movie because like when I'm watching a movie, whether it's at home or out, I will generally just watch that. But if I'm at home, I'll like take a break and go do something. But like. You know, I watch a lot of sports, and if I'm watching sports, I'm, like, have multiple games on. I will be texting people. I will be doing what you would call it and everything else on the side. Like, I never just sit down and really just watch mm. TV and watch sports. So, yeah, it, it reminds me of there's a scene in Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? where the group is, I think it's Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? where the group is singing as the Soggy Bottom Boys, and then you cut to different homes where people are listening to the song, and people are just sitting there in their rooms with the radio on, just kind of nodding, 
because they're fully they're fully engaged. And so for the the gramophones example, and I love that you bring this quote in, Noel, the gramophones example of multitasking is interesting because they phrase it as the worst thing since unsliced bread, you know? If I could play with that cliche. So uh, it's strange because now we see that that is normal in this age of ubiquitous information. And as we continue, we are going somewhere with this, folks. We're going back to Annie. We're going to hang out with her for a while. Uh, As we continue in this episode, it's a question that maybe you can ask yourself and your friends and your family, um, kids, if you have kids, which is how, how normal is it to multitask this way and how normal should it be? Um, it's a good question. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And I think it it really is at the heart of the same argument that we still make today when it comes to social media. It's too intense based on, you know, for kids' brains. It takes them in too many different directions and it gives them too much, uh, too many options. And they're not really equipped maybe to juggle all those options. Just like I'm not equipped to juggle watching Dune, uh, Doom scrolling on Instagram and, you know, uh, hanging out with my cat. You know, I should probably pick one and, and roll with it. And that became the crux of the argument in the 1930s as these kind of children's radio hours began to get more and more popular and shows like specifically Little Orphan Annie dealt with, you know, uh, kind of more shady aspects of of life. You know, Uh, there's like seductive villains and, you know, uh, cat burglars, like, you know, breaking into homes and and criminals and like very unsavory types that maybe kids would have kind of been um, shielded from even knowing about. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. And children have a tremendous capacity for imagination. And radio creates uh, something that we still owe a lot to in the world of podcasting, which is a theater of the mind. Uh, folks, we hope that you enjoy our occasional reenactments of things on on any of the shows the three of us do, because they're a lot of work, but they're a lot of fun, and we quite enjoy them. Podcasts, make no mistake, at their best are a direct descendant from the golden age of radio. Um, parents were worried. Like I, I like that you pointed this out, man. Parents were worried that this gave kids too much to think about, to put it in really simple terms, and that it might make things that are dangerous in real life seem appealing, right? Mysterious, edgy, cool. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you just said mysterious, Ben. It reminds me of there's this amazingly hilarious and heartwarming scene in The Sopranos where Bobby Bacala's kids, they've lost their mother. um, And there's a whole subplot where like Janice is like uh, trying to essentially, you know, reel them in and make become like the new mom. And she's a total psychopath playing all these head games. But at one point, Bobby's daughter is upset. And um, uh, Bobby's like, did you let her read her Nancy Drew book? So like, she wouldn't even call <laughs> down by reading her Nancy Drew book. She said they were too mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, Nancy Drew. Well, yeah, like this is this is fascinating. There's a letter that one guy wrote to the New York Times with in 1933 and he described uh, he, he described the deleterious effects that radio's children's hours would have on his kid. He said the adventures were all too hair-raising and he wrote my son has never known fear. He now imagines footsteps in the dark, kidnappers lurking in every corner, a ghost appearing and disappearing everywhere and emitting their blood-curdling noises all in true radio fashion. Uh, like, he he thought this was, I, I don't know, I think a lot of kids have had the experience where you see a movie or maybe you hear a spooky campfire story and you stay up late in the night afterwards because you're worried, you know, that... Someone in your house may have said Bloody Mary three times, right? Or sure. you're worried that the, someone might I don't think I ever made it past your, two. You know. um, or Candyman past three. But yeah, you certainly feel mm. compelled to do so. Um, and, yeah, and in the same way, I think we've all more or less landed on like movies and video games. Do not serial killers create. Uh, right. Maybe could push someone over the edge who's already, you know, got serious uh, inclinations toward that kind of behavior. Or maybe they get some inspiration from a particular act they see. But in general, healthy, you know, kids with a, with a balanced, you know, lifestyle and and parents that are supportive or whatever typically are not going to be turned into raving psychopaths by listening to a spooky radio program or, you know, playing Grand Theft Auto or whatever. And this argument really does go as far back as this, which is so funny considering how it really was like a total theater of the mind. So, so let's get into why Little Orphan Annie specifically. There were lots of other programs. You mentioned The Shadow. You know, that was a big one. Yeah. Um, which was yeah. another kind of spooky masked figure fighting crime. A lot of these were like, you know, proto DC Comics kind of vibes. You know, they, they were like a, a protagonist sort of like with the world against them. And they were kind of trying to right wrongs and, and all of that stuff, sort of do-goodery. Um, but Little Orphan Annie specifically was a kid with a dog, um, and she got the brunt of a lot of these concerns from parents. Yeah, yeah. The, there was a question that a noted educator named Sidney Grunberg asked the Times 
uh, where she said, why is it that the children seem to get their greatest pleasure from the very things which parents most deplore? That's a question people ask in, in the modern day, right? You want to make something cool? Have people's parents tell them it's dangerous and you shouldn't listen to it. Uh, yeah, the program that kids loved the most and the parents hated the most was young Ralphie's favorite. That part of the story is true. It is little orphan Annie. So she battled the big evil unions, gangsters, pirates, other, uh, you know, the like the the Whitman sampler of ne'er-do-wells, scoundrels, and rapscallions. Everybody, apparently, listened to that show. Uh, Richard German in the Saturday Night Review in 1969 had a great line about this. He said, all people during that period... 1931 to 1942, budding delinquents, safe crackers, stock market manipulators, or whatever, all listened to Little Orphan Annie. And a, uh, <laughs> a group of, I, I'm laughing just because I know this was a serious issue at the time, but tell, tell us, fellow ridiculous historians, if this does not sound a bit like overkill, here we go. In March of 1933, a group of concerned mothers in Scarsdale, New York, got together to protest radio shows that shatter nerves, stimulate emotions of horror, and teach bad grammar, which was a big one. They singled out Little Orphan Annie, and they said that uh, it was very poor because the main character, Little Orphan Annie, had a bad emotional effect and an unnatural voice. Which we heard in well, that gee, clip. Well, Mr. Yeah, Warbucks. Exactly. <laughs> what are we going to do with all these dirty unions about? Exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, it introduced things like slang. You know, well, gosh, mm -hmm. she willikers, that's keen. You know, I mean, like, I'm sure, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, again, as goofy and dated as that way of talking sounds now, now I bet a lot of parents really were not into that, especially teachers. No. You know, they were like, no, this is essentially tantamount to swearing. Yeah, like in that, what is that, uh, the, that musical, The Music Man, Seth MacFarlane, creator of Family Guy, is a great cover of it. The one where it's like, P, and that stands for pool. And that's bad right news. You bring City. in pool yeah. in River City, it's going gonna, it's gonna to totally upend our way of life, you know? <laughs> right. Next, I mean, pool, you got pool is step one. Next thing you know is the complete, you uh -huh. know, crumbling of, of civilization. Uh, people will be, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I want to bring that up because there's this commonality between these fears. The idea of a slippery slope, right? This is going to terrorize children in a way that compromises their moral standing and makes them, God forbid, scallywags in the future. This is what they thought was the sinister aspect of Little Orphan Annie in the beginning. And people were adopting resolutions in communities throughout the U.S. that, that wanted to fight back against what they saw as the unnatural overstimulation and thrill of children's cereals, S-E-R-I-A-L-S, mainly Orphan Annie and a show called Skippy, which was about a streetwise city boy. <laughs> it was a radio, and like, like Annie, it was a radio show based on a comic strip. What I, what I love about this too, though, man, is I don't know if you guys read a lot of young adult fiction, but I do. And there's some really dark stuff in there. We talked about Roald Dahl. That guy is nuts. You know, uh, the true, the actual original 
Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He's got this banger called George's Marvelous Medicine, which is all about a kid trying to poison his grandmother fatally while his parents are away shopping. Yikes. I think I And he accidentally one. makes her giant. Oh, I've got it if you want to borrow sure. it. It's like a quick afternoon read, but it's it's messed up. It's about him trying to unsuccessfully murder his grandmother. So there's there's already so much darkness and serious themes in like children's books and and young adult content and it may owe a lot to this period of radio drama, but what, like, how valid is that concern, do we think? This concern that it's just, it's too much for children to hear Little Orphanage. It, it depends, right? So, like, at this time, you know, radio is just starting to come to, like, the heartland, you know, in places where kids had to maybe do chores, you know, or it was maybe they lived in a more of an agrarian type situation. And I'm going to go back to the uh, the other pop culture reference you made, which is that song from The Music Man, uh, Trouble Right Here in River, C- River City. The, the lyrics are fantastic. This one verse in particular. Frittering away their noontime, suppertime, shore time, too. Get the ball in the pocket. Never mind getting dandelions pulled or the screen door patched or the beefsteak pounded. Never mind pumping any water till your parents are caught with the cistern empty on a Saturday night. And that's trouble. Yes, you got lots and lots of trouble. Um, So it's the idea of this distracting element. You could argue that maybe, yeah, maybe that maybe they did have a point. But again, it all comes down to discipline and like, you know, how you balance that stuff out with your kids. You can't really blame the technology because as we always say, you can't really put those genies back in their bottles. You can't shelter your kids from that stuff for long because then what are they going to do they're just going to seek it out and and go to more underhanded lengths to kind of get at them you know because right. they they don't want to be left behind uh, that's that's how kids are um so i think to that end there, there is a point is it making them you know into is it robbing them in some way of like uh, brain capacity like I, I don't think so i think time has shown that like plenty of very intelligent people came out of this period and came out of the period that we're living in with social media it's all about balance and some kids can handle it better than others and a lot of that has to do with their parents it's true it's true and a lot of it has to do with the support structure and community a kid has beyond just their parents but the parents are the principal exactly. actors here not not the the media uh there's also i love this slippery slope idea because it's like oh shucks mom won't let me listen to little orphan annie i guess i'm gonna read the necronomicon like that does to me it just doesn't it doesn't quite compute but they didn't get they the necronomicon were, in the heartland for many more years though so <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or, or even just yeah. like i think i'm gonna go you know, torture cats, you know, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm going to burn something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so this, it's funny because uh, th- there was this great line in a Smithsonian mag article about this period of hysteria. And, and yes, we know the problematic etymology of hysteria, but this period of panic of social outrage uh, in the Smithsonian mag, they point out that, this radio series was kind of like the grand theft auto of its day, which is wild, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's funny because this radio show for, for most people, I'd say these days, you, when you think of orphan Annie, you think of the musical that is like you said, Noel, based on the radio show that is based itself upon a comic strip that itself is based or inspired by uh, the title from an earlier poem. Uh, and these adaptations and reimaginings aren't always the same, not the same tone. That comic we were talking about earlier, it's kind of grim. 
because grim stuff was happening mm-hmm. in the uh, in the twenties and thirties, and then the Broadway musical is super op- optimistic, right? You know, and I, I will also say that that Easy Street song is pretty great. There's a lot of great songs in Annie the Musical. Um, and I mean, there's things about the movie that are pretty grim. Like Miss Hannigan is is uh, incredibly portrayed by Carol Burnett, just like soppingly drunk and like, you know, again, we mentioned earlier the idea of the seductive villain. Like she is like, oh, you see her in her like weird kind of nighty all the time and very inappropriate. I mean, there's some pretty wild things in that movie as well. But the Broadway musical, it was relatively optimistic. You're right. Uh, the idea of uh, Annie's getting ready rescued from this bad situation by daddy warbucks um and then she's able to kind of help her compatriots you know escape their you know plight as well but in general the comic strip and then the radio show it was all about like you know annie being this kind of force of good and justice in a completely crooked and uh and negative and uh, abusive world and we're we're midway through this strange exploration. And I, I think, Noel, it's fair to say that we've already gone to some pretty interesting, unexpected spaces here. Indeed. Who knows what those are? We haven't actually listened to the edit yet. We're just kind of flying blind here. But we know that we definitely touched on some interesting stuff. And now I'm drinking my Ovaltine. I don't know if you see this, but I've got a big old glass oh, of Ovaltine here. no way. Good stuff. Yeah, for bones. It's for, it's for your bones. <laughs> you know? um, and uh, it gives you a pep. Yes, and uh, we will return very soon with part two of the sinister influence of little orphan Annie. Uh, So everybody make sure to drink your Ovaltine. I guess that's the main takeaway of our story today. And and when it comes to Pep, uh, we always want to thank our very own Pep Master, one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks also to Alex Williams, who composed the banging soundtrack that is, I, I believe, playing behind us now. One would think so many mysteries in the world of podcast production editing, but I really hope that Max uh, followed the precedent that he has set for low these many years, or months anyway, and has the music playing underneath us as we speak. Pep, pep to uh, Christopher Hasiotis and Eve's Jeff Coates, both here in spirit. Jonathan Strickland, the quizster, may your pep drain from you, sir, and, and, and leave you a husk of a man and that you may never darken our doorstep again. No, that's not true. I miss Jonathan. We got to have him back. We don't. It's not really up to us, though. So we'll see what happens. Behind the curtain, he's a busy guy. Check out his show Tech Stuff with new episodes coming out like every day. Wait, Ben, you're not saying that he also like moonlights as another podcast team's nemesis, are you? Because that would be too much for me to bear. I can't handle that. You know, I was thinking of... Uh, We've got some exciting stuff on the way early next year, folks. I was thinking of seeing if he might be a somewhat like a thematic bridge in the expanding yes. ridiculous universe. But it's a it's a weird thing to sell to our colleagues, like over a ridiculous romance. We, we were like, let's explain what our whole thing is with this guy. Do you want them on? You know, we're still working out. Negotiations are underway. Jonathan's writer is crazy, but as you said, we do love him. Shout out, of course, also to Mr. Casey Pegram. Isn't it weird that Jonathan only wants left foot socks in his writer? What's that about? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, you know, I got to be honest. I've read the whole thing once, but it took all weekend. It is very specific. I don't know what happens with all. We have a pile of just right foot socks in the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and a whole a whole section of his writer is just like in ciphers, like mm-hmm. Zodiac Killer type stuff. It's very odd. 
Uh, so, I, hey, it takes all kinds. We've got to get a decoder badge. Ah, we all do. Cliffhanger. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six x visit tomboyx.com with the new dexcom g7 you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks it sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading see how food and exercise affects your glucose making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your a1c take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended cgm brand it's easy to get started today at dexcom.com that's dexcom.com dexcom data on file 2023 if your glucose alerts and readings from the g7 do not match symptoms or expectations use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions for a list of compatible devices visit dexcom.com compatibility tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yes you heard that right you can talk to a human on the discover customer service team anytime so the next time you have a question about your credit card call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve limitations apply see terms at discover.com slash credit card